Here we go. Today is Monday, August 29th, 2016, and this is episode 169 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. In, by special request, also properly balanced of the sound, left and right, in this edition of the Defensive Security Podcast. Yeah, that experiment went really... I don't know, poorly or well, depending on your perspective. Engagement levels were very high. Yes, that's right. Yes, <laughs> we we certainly heard a lot of feedback. That's right. We've tested that our listenership is not just the people in the comas or in jail. Right. Right. So, so uh, hello. Yes. good to see you. How are you, sir? How's um, how's how's things? Doing well. How are you? I am good. It's it's a Monday, so. It's a Monday. It's a Monday. But yeah. but it's also Dragon Con week, which is a good time. Indeed. And, and and we have a long weekend coming up, so loving that too. It's true. And as a teaser, as a teaser, for those interested in the O'Reilly Security Conference coming up in New York, guess what we got? Oh, that's right. We have a discount code. We do have a discount code. All right. So um before we get into our stories, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employers unless it is coincidental. And if you like our opinions and want to pay us a good yeah. know, low seven figures, we'll be happy to that, have our opinions coincide with yours. Very true. So moving on to our first story for the evening. This one comes from CSO Online, and the title is How Do You Measure Success When It Comes to Stopping Phishing Attacks? This is a, a, a good article in that it points out how arbitrary and confusing and uh, not on the same page everybody is with respect to what success is in terms of a anti-phishing program. Indeed. So, uh, the, the you know basically there was a, a survey done of non-executive IT people, and they they asked a, a bunch of people what success is, how do you measure success, and you know that there's there were some obvious answers like click rates, but they point out in the article, well, what is a click rate? You know, what's a click? Is a click clicking on a link? Is it opening an attachment? Is it both? If they click on the attachment, do they also have to enter their username and password for it to count as a click? You know, so there's a lot of interpretation there. But most of the um, most of the the people interviewed pointed out that around 20% click rate, again, however that's defined, is is usually kind of the the standard most organizations shoot for. However, there's a lot of dispute or disagreement about whether actually that's a good thing or a bad thing and and you know the the I think on the on the one side people will say there's only so much you can do, right? And so you can teach people and train people and uh you're only going to get so good, right? Because 
you know, there's, there's, as we've talked about in the past, there's lots of factors that go into whether or not somebody's going to fall for a fish. And then on the other side, they point out if you have 10,000 people in your organization and 20% of them click on it, that's 2,000 people, right? And it, and really all you need as an attacker is one person to provide you with credentials or give a beachhead into your organization with malware. And that's all it, that's all it takes. And so uh, I thought it was, it was an interesting discussion in that there's, there's just not a lot of agreement on what success is. And so I I thought there was something interesting to consider for your own programs. You know, how, how do you couch success in this, uh, in this area? Well, and I think there's a couple of interesting things I took away from this. That they keep kicking around this 80% success rate as the target. Um, although a lot of people, uh, to be fair, in, in that they interviewed for this article also disagreed heavily with that, and, and you know, so they have a lot of divergent views. But I think where this sort of 20% failure rate came from is I think that that is what most organizations are able to achieve uh, when they are really diligent about training and simulation. So we've normalized this 80% success rate because it's the success rate most organizations have run into. And so that has sort of become the the benchmark. But I I personally don't think that that's uh, an acceptable failure rate of 20%. I think that that's bad. Um, But I think this sort of exposes the limitations of, uh, you know, awareness training and simulation and whatnot, that you're never going to get to zero because you have a human in the mix that is susceptible to all the problems that we have when there a psychological attack is being thrown against them, which is what phishing is. It's psychological. So you're, you're never going to get to zero. So I think what this exposes to me is that that although training and simulation is useful, it will not get you to zero. And they talk about this in the article too. Uh, you need to have some sort of technical control behind it that that picks up the slack for those folks who are inevitably going to click. Yeah, and that's I think that's really the key. Is yeah. it, I, and I've said this before, right? Education, anti-phishing education, is not a control uh, in in the same way that many other security things are controls. It's a minimization program. And and it has value. I'm not saying that it doesn't have value. However, it's not going to keep you from getting uh, compromised. If you if you have somebody who's coming after you, it, you know, they they just have to get one and if 20% of your people are clicking on it, it's not not really good odds. And so you do have to have something standing behind it. Yeah. There's lots of different options for how to do that, but um, I, I, and I, I just see, we've talked about this a lot, right? But mm-hmm. it, it is, it is a unfortunate thing, especially with, with management, uh, that I have seen in the past, uh, have a, kind of a mis misperception about what's possible in terms of, of training people to avoid fishes. Right. And so somebody falls for it and well, you know, why did Jerry fall? Why did Jerry click on that email? I mean, he had the training. And that's well, I and and to be fair to organizations, I think part of that has to do with the marketing they're getting from fishing training and fishing awareness and fishing simulation companies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to 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 be brutally honest, and this goes back to you know, we we still need to seek out non biased information or 
you know, factual information or in our own organization to really test the efficacy of the solutions we're bringing in in house. Yeah, and and by the way, speaking of non-biased, this whole article is based on a survey done by Duo Security, who I believe makes uh, two-factor authentication solutions. Right, right. Follow the money. So yes, <laughs> but I I think you know little confirmation bias here is that it, it it does support our experiences and our views of of phishing training and simulation can be helpful but it is not the end of the road and phishing is an incredibly complex incredibly dynamic uh, attack vector that is going to keep morphing to be effective and uh, you know so i I think there's a false sense of security if you're standing behind your organization and you've solved, quote-unquote, solved phishing with, oh, well, we train our users once a quarter. Good I, job. I don't think that's enough. That's right. All right, so um, moving on to our next story, which comes from databreachtoday.com, and the title is Equation Group Hacking Tool Dump Five Lessons. So as everybody, I'm sure, is no doubt aware Apparently, the NSA was uh, was hacked at some point in the past, uh, depending on who you believe, 2013-2012 time frame. And uh, a bunch of exploits were dumped. Um, just a, a bit more background, it appears that a lot of the exploits were A, legitimate, and, and B, kind of post-exploitation uh, type, type, uh, type tools. And there's also a lot of a lot of, and I would say a growing amount of undeniable evidence that actually did come from the NSA. So, um, with that in mind, the point here is, you know, what what can we learn based on what we saw coming out of this uh, this breach? And so that's what what we have here. The first first point was that intelligence agencies crave exploits, which really should be no particular surprise. Um, they they don't really say it in here, but I think that in my in my mind, one of the, the there's kind of a moral hazard here, right? Because on the one hand, if you know, certainly intelligence agencies are 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 incented to go and find these things, and and you know we we all know from Patch Tuesday and Heartbleed and Shellshock and all the others that there's constantly a, a drumbeat, right? The problem I think we have is that when you concentrate, when you have a concentration of of undisclosed exploits and vulnerabilities that end up being compromised like this, that's where you end up with some some really bad badness to make up a, a really bad term. Um, number two was to ditch outdated devices. They point out that a lot of the or one of the really bad attacks was against Cisco Pixes, which uh, are way out of support. They they uh, ended support in 2013. Now, I think I think since this article has been written, it, it actually came out that um, ASAs are also susceptible. Uh, yes, but a, a patch has been released. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, the point with this one is, especially with infrastructure and security devices, there's a lot of... Uh, hesitation to touch them oh absolutely you know once once they're in place you don't want to you don't want to mess with them and they're well uh, it's also you know typically an inline device that is affecting production traffic uh it's usually at the edge so it's a highly impactful downtime 
even if you have failover and such. And, you know, most often, I think this is a somewhat of a generalization, so I could be called out for this, but typically Cisco firewalls are typically run by the networking team who has the rest of the Cisco skill set. And in general, they're more concerned with production uptime than security. So, uh, you know, I think that they're even more reluctant to patch Cisco devices unless it's causing uh, an instability in the environment. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the real the real point of this bullet is that you, know, you, you need to swallow hard and CISOs need, I think, as they say, CISOs need to get to their, get their senior management to focus on the benefits of a mature program and not specifically on the costs, which is a, that's kind of a, it's a platitude at some level, right? Because it's a hard thing to do. But on the other hand, if you're caught with your pants down in you know ten year old firewalls, that's not a that's not awesome either. Uh, and uh, you know, it, by the way, there is a there's an interesting kind of other side to the story, which is that there's a lot of organizations I've seen, and I don't know if you've seen the same thing, who are basically saying, oh, you know, based on this, we're we're dumping Cisco. Yeah, uh, there's. There's always that sort of feedback, but if you really look into the story, many other uh, vendors had similar attacks, Juniper and Fortinet. I also want to point out, and this is very important, that I left alone both swallow hard and drop your pants from your last paragraph. I did not I'm proud of you. say a thing about those. You're doing great. Well, <clears throat> you're, you're your adulting. Mom, your mom has asked me to try to be nicer. Oh, thank you. Here. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to thank her for that. All the services she performs for me. Oh, so uh, I, I think that there's an inevitable kickback of, well, this vendor sucks. But I think you have to be careful because almost every major firewall vendor has had something. Ah, but that wasn't the point I was getting at, hmm. right? And because I, I agree with you, okay. uh, a, lot of, a lot of them have. But... You know, a lot there's there's a lot of these um, there's a lot of these Cisco devices sitting out there, and you know as as time goes on, the new sexy things are emerging in the market, and people are like, man, I really wish I could dump those ASAs for some really hot Palo Altos. Oh well, my sure. goodness, look at that! Look at that! The, you know, we just lost complete faith in Cisco. We need to replace our Cisco's right stinking now. And uh, and you know here you go. What what better what better cover is there to get a whole bunch of money to replace your old your old uh, cranky Cisco's with some new hot Palo Altos, right? So you've been talking to your Palo Alto rep, I take it. No comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, of course. I I mean I remember, and and I'll get in trouble for telling this story, but it was a week a week after a breach of a major retailer and we didn't know anything about the retailer or, or how the breach happened or anything of the details. And I had a vendor in talking to me how if, if this particular retailer had just used their magic black box, they never would have been breached. I was like, <laughs> how can you possibly say that? Oh yeah. And I was, I was a, a sales engineer at the time working for um, a large VAR and I had, a whole a room full of salespeople who are going to take that message out and repeat it to their customers. And I knew it was complete bull. 
And you thought I was stabbing their baby to death by challenging him on that statement. <laughs> like, how can you? How can you say? How can you know that? We don't know anything about this breach. We don't know how it happened. We don't know why it happened. You know. So how all you I see? know is that if you were using our stuff, it wouldn't have happened. That's well, all I. Know. That's all. What more do you need to know? Right. What What but more is there need to know? This is the challenge we have with with you know a lot of sales teams for a lot of. Uh, security products is they jump on anything like this and they just start throwing FUD out there to see what sticks. And it causes a lot of confusion, especially because, I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times I've had a CISO forward me an email from some sales guy that says, you know, we think you're using product X. And did you know that product X was just hacked by the Saudis? Wait, what? (laughs) Or, Or something like that. Yeah, well, they do it because it plays well. It works. Exactly. So, um, anyway, that's an aside, but I, I guess you know there, there's certainly times to look at swapping out various hardware and software. And I'll be honest, I'm actually not a fan of Cisco Pixis at all. I would rip them out in a heartbeat. Um, but I can get when people want to use this to further their agenda uh, internally, but I would just say be be careful not to knee-jerk on these things until you really think it through. Absolutely. So number three on their list was enterprises must defend themselves because intelligence agencies are not here to protect you. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, Number four, treat all vendors with caution. You know, I assume basically that means that, you know, you should only use open source firewalls because you know open source uh you know it's it's been completely audited and you really you're really gonna open up that debate really (laughs) just need one yeah yep everybody knows it everybody knows open source is way more secure this is why you have ip tables or die tattooed on your back isn't it it is i've always wondered Mm -hmm. um it is an interesting point and i'd I'd really well i I don't know how you would i i have okay let's talk about this one for a minute because i have gone back and forth in my career on this one treat all vendors with caution companies should consider a layered defense approach to their scam quoting now companies should consider a layered defense approach to their security whereby they use security solutions from different vendors in order to continue to provide some level of security in the event one layer fails or is compromised i get that i don't disagree with that concept in general but let's boil it down to a specific example of we're going to use uh, two different firewall vendors at our edge in case one has a massive issue and the other will catch it. Great in theory. Here's where I see that fall down is maintaining the skill set in two different vendors of a competent enough level to manage them properly. Typically, when I see a mixed firewall environment, they're good at one of them but not the other. And usually the risk comes from misconfiguration, not fundamental flaws. Yeah, and you end up with <clears throat> least common denominator functionality between the two, and it, it's just not a it's just not a great thing. You know, what's what's not on here, we'll jump to number five for a second, mm-hmm. which is continuously monitor your networks, which makes a ton of sense. We talk about that a lot. But what's not on here is, you know, which should be even the like number one, which is to pay attention to how you deploy this stuff. Yeah. Right now, not everything, not everything, you know, that some of them I believe were Ike, you know, the Ike key exchange exploits, but other ones were attacks on SNMP. And God damn it, there is no reason SNMP should be exposed. No, I agree. Having mastery of your tools, I think, is far more important and far rarely talked about. 
Yeah. So anyway. And I, I do want to go back real quick because there's, there's there's a clear thing that we're not talking about with the layer defense, which is go ahead. There, there's plenty of other layer defense approaches that make a lot of sense, right? You, you know, you're not counting on just your perimeter firewall to secure your organization. You have endpoint security, you have IPS, you have mo- many other layers throughout the organization, and that makes perfect sense. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying be careful of saying we're going to get two vendors doing the exact same thing because you rarely run them both well. And then you end up have an SNMP exposed. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're you're absolutely right. If, if you're not if you're not a specialist, then you end up uh, you end up in a bad way. So, yep. Uh, anyway, moving on to our next story, which comes from CSO Online, and the title here is "Attackers Don't Just Need Vulnerability." Or should let me correct that? Attackers don't need vulnerabilities when the basics work just as well. And uh, the this is based on a report put out by Praetorian, who is a pen testing company, and they they point out that they they can break into networks just fine without having to resort to exploiting vulnerabilities, because people are using crappy passwords, and badly configured networks. Like uh, they point out, which I thought was interesting to see here as a yes in such in such a form with this much airtime. Broadcast broadcast name resolution poisoning. I mean, that's like a ni- mid nineteen nineties type of thing. But you know, again, if it works, you know, why why not? But the the undertone of the article is organizations are laser focused on addressing patches. Yep. And you know, we're on this this patch treadmill. We got a patch, got a patch, got a patch, got a patch, and we sometimes do that maybe more than sometimes, at the expense of other things, which are actually how we're probably going to get compromised with you know, bad passwords or poorly configured things because we're so focused on patching the damn vulnerabilities. Yeah, I, I concur. Although I do think vulnerability management is incredibly important, especially stuff that's internet-facing. Uh, but it's more than just that. And I think... Completely agree. We, we get very, very focused on the vulnerability management because that is a measurable, achievable, SLA, wrappable goal. Uh, and we have tools that make it very easy, relatively speaking, to scan uh, and resolve those, those vulnerabilities. But best practices and you know, things like CIS hardening guides and such are not as common uh, of a best practice. And, you know, I, I concur that I've seen this recently myself in, in various organizations where, uh, you, you know, like the broadcast name resolution poisoning is still a very common thing. If you've been running uh, Windows AD infrastructure for a long time, uh, you know, and you've been incrementally upgrading and incrementally upgrading, that stuff just stays on. And, and unless you have really, really security conscious admins or it's being pushed really hard from a security organization into the system in organization, they may not even know to turn this off. They might not even be aware of this security issue and how trivial it is to capture a hash and replay it. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, again, these silos that we see between security organizations and system in organizations are, are, are not helpful at all for this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a problem. And I think it's a very real problem still today. I, I think that th- there is another, there's another dimension that I want to, wanted to mention is that kind of like, like you said, the vulnerability management is a very objective thing to manage. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can have a, you can have a dashboard 
that shows you know how 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 done you are, how exposed you are. And I think the issue is that that often gets conflated with how secure we are, right? You know, right. because we're we've addressed all of our highs or or whatever, right? Or we only have two highs left and they're they're mitigated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and and, and th- this the, these sorts of things don't appear in a dashboard. There isn't a dashboard that I have ever seen that has a you know we have uh, eight people who have really crappy passwords. And you know that that's the problem is that this the the next kind of the next layer down where where you're most likely these days to get compromised nobody's really looking at or measuring or paying attention to and I think that's the point of the the story. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I think this goes into one. It's helpful as much as we rail sometimes against pen test. It can be a visceral reminder of these sorts of things. Uh, Absolutely, and it can get management's attention to look at this, but we have to do more partnering with our, our system and organizations in helping them design and run and maintain more secure environments. When they're primarily focused on is stuff up and working. And so when we show up, they just see a problem, we being security folks. And we need to figure out a way to say, hey, we're we're not we're not the problem. We're 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 trying to keep the company safe, and here's how we're trying to keep the company safe. Right. Yep. So um, moving on to our next story, which comes from securityweek.com, and the title is Attackers Use Virtual Machine to Hide Malicious Activity. It's a, it's a short story, not a whole ton to talk about, but basically Dell SecureWorks, or I guess it's just SecureWorks these days, isn't it? Uh, that's going to take a while for me to get used to. Um, Indeed. Yeah, they they found in the aftermath of uh, investigation that some uh, some attacker was actually spawning virtual machines to cloak um, you know, their their activity on a compromised system. So apparently they were not doing much on the actual system because they were, I guess, afraid that the their detection tools would spot it. So they spun up a virtual machine, so from the perspective of the tools on the underlying host, all they saw was normal processes in a virtual machine, and then they did all, the, all their nefarious crap in the in the VM. Uh, I thought it was pretty clever, something to think about if you see VMs on your systems. I mean, maybe this is something new to, um, you know, to, to put into your uh, to your scripts that are monitoring your systems to uh, to look for VMs that shouldn't be there. I wouldn't have uh, something that hadn't entered my radar. I wouldn't have thought about that before this. So, um, next story comes from Network World, and the title is "Imperva Application Layer DDoS Attacks Are on the Rise." Um, you know, again, no no terrible surprise here, but the point is that there's a, a really significant migration away from the kind of the volumetric. Uh, normal noisy, you know, TCP and UDP type traffic's to more of a, you know, a, a application layer attack where you can impact the environment with far less traffic, right? And you know, I got to thinking about this. We we've talked a lot about in the past, you know, the the concept of DDoS is being used as a smokescreen for other activities. And one of the problems you have if you're going to be attacking a target with a DDoS attack 
and you're, and you're using a volumetric attack which floods their connections, you're not going to have a whole lot of opportunity to do your nefarious deeds while you're well, DDoSing it, them. It depends on the target, right? It depends yeah, on, yeah. on how complex the target is. If you have a different way to exfiltrate that's not using the same avenue, right. if you're just trying to distract the organization's response team. Right. But I guess my, my point here is that this might this would offer up a new possibility. Now now yep. you're not filling up their connection necessarily and you're you're having the effect of DDoSing them. But um, you know, this is actually a much, much more difficult thing to defend against because you know, in, in most respects, they usually look like you know, legitimate connections because they're actually interacting with the application, whereas it's pretty easy to, to tell your uh, your upstream... ISP to you know block inbound port fifty three from everything but you know one particular source or, or what have you. Uh, so so that's that's a more difficult uh, thing to defend against. And you know the other they also pointed out which I thought something was pretty clever is the idea of chaining uh, DDoS attacks and just um, you know, doing it over a course uh, an extended course of time or extended period of time with the idea that you're trying to wear out the team and then you go in and do whatever uh, bad deed you're going to, you, you want to do. Which I thought was, was you know, kind of clever and probably worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this just comes back to the fact that we're, we're seeing a more multi-stage attacks to keep people hopping and to distract folks. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, I, 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 you know, to be candid, unless unless something dramatically changes with how web technology works, it seems like that it's inevitable that most any website of any consequence is going to have to be, you know, quote up in the cloud somewhere, defended by an application layer DDoS, some kind of application layer DDoS mitigation service. Yeah, some sort of content delivery network that can dynamically reroute and right. expand, and yep. yeah, I'm, because somebody's always going to be able to play who's got a bigger pipe with you if if you try to host it locally. This yeah. is the challenge, yep. or you know, or at least architect in such a way that the stuff that's most likely to get DDoS doesn't impact other parts of your organization. You know, right. whether separate internet connectivity or something, which is a really important thing, by the way. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that. Um, that's been kind of a best practice for a long time. Do not put your web server or, or other internet-facing things on your same circuit as your, uh, as your so, office. So many people do. Well, it's cheaper. Yeah. So, although I suppose, you know, these days, com, you know, you get a Comcast connection for pretty cheap these days. Mm. So, um, moving on to our last story for, this, for tonight, which is uh, from Ars Technica, and the title is, Actively exploited iOS flaws that hijack iPhones patched by Apple. Oh my God, I I cannot believe the amount of press this got. So the, if you're well, it's got all it's got all the sexiness, man. Oh, it does. You're right. It's it's interesting level mystery. It's against a political dissident, right? It's Apple. It's iPhone. That's true. I mean, all we needed was. Anthony Weiner, it's sexting out. Oh, too late. Oh, oh, hey. Sorry, that was my topical reference for the evening. <laughs> nice job. Well, well played. You know, and 
we'll go ahead and give the story breakdown and we'll talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, so the deal here is, uh, there's a political dissident in, um, in Saudi Arabia. His name is, I'll find it. I'm not going to find it fast. Anyway, political dissident in Saudi Arabia, um, got a text message. Uh, and by the way, this person had been, uh, been pursued in the past by the Saudi Arabian government, or actually it's the UAE, not Saudi Arabia, it's the UAE. His name is Mansoor. Look, if you're going to get a Mideast country mad at us, get it right. Yeah, it's the UAE. I'm sorry, Saudi Arabia. I did not mean that. Mm-hmm. I love you. Don't don't come after me. Um, anyway. Or, or, or me. Thanks for not looking out for your co-host. Jeez. <laughs> Would it have killed you to say, come after us? Is that that difficult? It's like the, you know, the, the, the whole bear thing, you know. Don't have you to, just don't have, have to, to run faster than the bear. <laughs> just, you just have to be the center of attention. I don't have to run faster than the bear. just have to run faster than you. Get back to your story, mister. So, uh, so anyway, this, this uh, person named Mansoor had long been an, a, a target of the uh, uh, UAE government as a political dissident and uh, received a text message on his iPhone didn't it kind of looks suspicious apparently he forwarded it to this group called citizen labs who has been pretty active in in uh rattling the cages of people like finn fisher and uh, other groups and what they found in in the analysis of the link was an exploit kit that that um exploited three different vulnerabilities uh, un previously unknown vulnerabilities in ios that would ultimately install a really sophisticated rootkit that gave you know, basically more or less every function you could possibly want in terms of uh, you know spying on a on a phone. Um, and uh, and then Apple Apple turned around and I think they actually patched it pretty quick, from what I can tell. Uh, the I guess the the point is that allegedly this particular. Um, exploit and piece of malware is part of a kit that's this distributed and sold by a group called NSO out of Israel. Let me me stop you right there. When you actually go and you start digging these blog posts, there's an interesting amount of conjecture that starts to come into play that gets lost in following reporting. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a lot of potential connections and it makes sense. It's not, it's not illogical that this is the case. However, they don't know for sure, but they found interesting leaks from the hacking team uh, dump and some other stuff that pointed to this likely being the exploit kit and, and you know and who wrote it and such. But it's interesting that this is we went from likely to absolutely as follow-on reporting continued. Yeah, one of the one of the linkages I saw was that the uh, the domain that was that hosted the initial exploit received by this. Um, this person, Mansoor, was observed by uh, Citizen Lab having perpetrated other you know, other tools that were more strongly attributed to NSO. Anyway, like you said, who the hell knows? It's really well, I, yeah, it's, I just it's a little bit of a pet peeve for an eye when when people who are very careful in their research and their in their disclosure say what they do know and what they are you know, kind of making some assumptions around and then that, that gets lost in following reporting. So, and then things become fact, like it was North Korea. It was always North Korea. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, a couple of interesting things that, that occurred to me, 
So if if the assumptions are correct here that this is really fairly high level, uh, sophisticated malware being targeted at at very specific targets. Everybody sort of panicked when this came out and said, patch your phone, patch your phone, including me. But as I got to thinking about it, I was like, well, I don't know how widespread the use of this particular malware was. It probably was very, very targeted because you're not going to burn something this sophisticated and valuable on Joe Bob down the street. So, yep. and it, as complica- complicated as these particular attacks were, Yes, now that they're out there, we can start seeing it showing up in exploit kits and making it easier for script kiddies to run it. But I, I kind of wonder, how dangerous was this really to the average person? Probably not terribly dangerous until a couple of weeks after all this leaked out, most likely. Uh, not that that means it shouldn't be patched and that we should leave these things out there. I mean, I'm just saying in general. I'm taking a shot in the dark here and saying that this is probably rarely deployed uh, and only used for very specific targets of high value. Yeah, and and more than that, it 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 probably didn't really stop anything because I'm sure they more than likely have other <laughs> another bag of well, tricks. Well, you know, with all the the hand wringing in law enforcement over encryption, one of the best ways to fight encryption that is very strong is to actually go attack the endpoint, and you can capture the message either before it's decrypted or after it's been decrypted or yeah. before it's encrypted or after it's decrypted. And that's usually a much easier attack than going after the encryption itself. Right. Uh, which this also does. Uh, you know, the other thing I'm wondering about, and I have no evidence of this whatsoever, is I wonder if there are vulnerabilities that, uh, for instance, the CIA, the NSA, somebody's sitting on against iPhones that have never gone public, um, but Apple somehow caught wind of it. And I wonder if there's ever been a conversation between Apple and various three-letter agencies saying, could you just not patch this particular bug for another couple of weeks? <laughs> it, it's almost – it's really difficult to imagine that that conversation hasn't happened. And, you know, Apple was incredibly public in their debate about unlocking a terrorist phone. But that's a public debate, and what happens in public may be very different than what happens in private. And again, that's pure conjecture. I have no evidence whatsoever that Apple's done that. Let me be very clear. But I think that that's, from my experience working with governments and other large organizations, I, I'm pretty sure those conversations are happening. Now, whether or not how Apple responds, I have no idea. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's got to be a tough spot. I mean, you, you know, I, I think everybody, I suspect... Everybody, from their perspective, feels like they're doing the right thing. Sure, and that's that's where that's where it gets really quite sticky and complicated. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that I, I agree with you. I suspect this was not a really widely deployed thing. The other interesting thing is, I cannot I cannot recall any other instance of such a thing involving an iPhone. I would concur. This is. You know, this is interesting in a couple of ways because we were talking about this on last week's show. Somebody spotted a, a legitimate O'Day in the wild and and caught it, which and would then trace back to potential nation state, which is relatively rare for if we look at everything that came out with the uh, the you know the the previous story about all the Cisco attacks. No one seemed to spot that in the wild, as far as we know. Right. Uh, 
and yeah, this is this is a pretty aggressive attack against iPhones. I mean, we talked about mobile devices being the next frontier of attacks for a while now. Uh, at least the you know marketing folks have, and we're finally starting to get there. But you know, it's it, what's what I find really funny is you know the uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of criticism flowing to Apple right now because of this. But the reality is on Android. You know, everybody and their dog is doing this stuff for commodity banking attacks. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the that's the amazing thing. So, so, so what flack is Apple catching? For what reason? Um, oh, it, it, just like Cisco, right? Oh my God, they got they got hacked. iOS is no longer secure. Mm. Blah blah blah. I think on balance, I think Apple does a far better job of upgrading their ecosystem than than Android does. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that's. There's no doubt. And I'm sure anybody with a Nexus phone will be more than happy to tell us we're wrong. But Well, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I have an iPhone. I've, I've had Android phones in the past. I, th- there's pluses and minuses to both. Uh, but I think if, if I want to look at herd immunity, I like having a lot of iPhones out in the world. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, that is the show for this week. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Mr. Kellett. Are you not going to pay off the tease we gave at the beginning of the oh, show? Well, see, I rely on you, and you failed me. I, how did I fail you? I just, I just stopped you from ending the show. I think I succeeded. Oh, well, fair enough. Okay. So, so yes, we have, a, we have a discount code. What is the discount code? So for those interested in uh, either New York or Amsterdam, this is the O'Reilly's first security conference. So um, let, me, let me just full disclosure. Um, we are not being paid for this. Uh, we are not involved with the show in any sort of organizational way. However, we have been asked to run an Ignite panel, which will be on Monday night, the 31st, uh, Halloween. Uh, and in return, uh, they are giving Jerry and I passes. So we are being compensated in that respect. However, we really agree with the, the focus of the show. It is a blue team focus show, just like our show. Um, and it is run by really good people. And this is their first time. And we want to support more Defender focus shows so just that's you know we like to be transparent as to how things happen here so we're involved with o'reilly uh in that respect and we asked hey you know we we like your show we think our listeners would like your show do you have a code we could give out and they were kind enough to provide us with a 20 percent off of the gold silver bronze passes for either new york or amsterdam and that discount code is security 20 so S E C U R I T Y two zero, and that will save you twenty percent on your tickets. Cool. And where did they go? Uh, to Google and look up O'Reilly Security Conference because I go. don't remember Good the job. actual domain name right now. That's fine. Or Bing or yeah. go go Bing. Just Bing it. Or you know whatever your chosen nation state sponsored search yeah. engine maybe. That's right. Just just Bing O'Reilly. Security conference. And Jerry and I will be there, by the way, if not to bury the lead, but we'll be there. I know. How, so that may, how awesome is that? that? That may discourage some of you from wanting to go. I understand that. But, you know, we'll try to be scarce if you don't like us. <laughs> we, we may even record something there, too. So That's true. That would be cool. And I'll be freshly married. Yes. Sorry to all those hopeful ladies out there. But anyway... 
Now you can end the show. Now I'll end, it sh- end the show. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to all those who have donated to our Patreon campaign. Continue to be amazed and, and happy about that. Definitely helps out. Uh, thanks to everyone who's given us some uh, some love on iTunes. And if you haven't, I ask that you do. Tell a friend. It's um, It's been really, really awesome to see how, how this show has grown over the years and... and uh, makes me feel really good so hopefully you get something out of it and uh, with that actually uh, i'll give you the website right so uh, if you want to find links to the stories we talked about tonight go to our website at www.defensivesecurity.org and uh, you can follow the show on twitter at defensive sec you can follow uh, mr kell on twitter at lurg and me on twitter at malicious link and now we will catch you next week <laughs> have a great week everybody Bye-bye. bye bye bye